Good morning to everyone. In Tagalog, magandang umaga sa ating lahat. It's good to see you. Uh, I got to talk to some of you already this morning, and one of the questions they asked me is, are you nervous? Okay. I think coming from a very humid country to a cold place would really make you nervous. Would you look nervous at least? Okay. Uh, as mentioned by Brother Dave, I am Atan Taklob, missionary to the Philippines. I am now wearing a... Uh, a garb that we usually wear when we preach and teach in the Philippines. We do not wear ties in the Philippines because it's very humid there. It's very hot. So we, we wear something like this when we preach and teach uh, God's Word. On behalf of Rachel and my kids, I would like to say thank you very much for your support of the work in the Philippines. We greatly appreciate your, your love and prayers for us. We left with three kids with four uh, our youngest is Isaiah, who is over a year old now. We arrived on Tuesday, and that was Rachel's birthday. Two days before our trip coming here uh, was the graduation of the Bible College, where I am teaching. And days before graduation was the Bible Conference. It was a pretty intense two weeks, but God has been sustaining us with His strength. And we thank Ma'am and Dad for for letting us invade their house again and enjoy their meals. I know it's not easy to have active and noisy kids around, but they have been so kind and patient with us. And thank you, Pastor Harris, wherever you are right now, uh, for this privilege to share God's Word this morning. Now, will you please open your Bible again to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We read chapter verses one, uh, chapter one, verses one to eleven. But I realize that I, ne- I need to get to verse fourteen to preach this message. So let me read verses twelve to fourteen to complete the passage. Okay. So we have read verses one to eleven, and I'm going to read now verses twelve to fourteen of Ecclesiastes chapter one. Verse twelve says, "I, the preacher." was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. Verse 14, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity, and grasping for the wind. If you notice, the oft-repeated word in this passage and in the entire book of Ecclesiastes is the word vanity. And depending upon the context, this word vanity, a translation of the original word hebel, gave you just for your information, it can have different senses or shades of meaning. It can mean fleeting, transitory, passing. That's one sense of this word. Okay, vanity can also have the idea of emptiness, without meaning or without purpose. And it can also mean frustrating. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, there are three main reasons why Solomon experienced frustration in life. He is frustrated over what is profitless, over what is unsatisfying, and because of injustice. 
Have you felt that way? You are frustrated because of those things. But the question is, why is there vanity on earth? Or why did God subject this world to a state of life called vanity? God subjected life on earth to hebel, to vanity, to emptiness, to temporariness, to futility, to various sorts of frustration because of the fall of man. Man sinned. In other words, man, not God, is to be blamed for the state of life called vanity. And that state of life in this fallen world should draw unbelieving people to God. And for us believers, it should help us focus our life on God and on the things of God. Lest you be wallowing in the pond of despair because of the futility and frustrations in life, I would like to encourage you by reminding that this state of life in this fallen world called vanity is not forever. When Christ will come for the second time on earth, called it the millennial reign of Christ, he will make all things new. And this vanity, the bondage to corruption, and everything that is part of the curse because of sin, it will be over. So it's not forever. And this morning, I would like to focus our attention to an expression in the book that is closely connected to the word vanity. And that is the phrase, grasping for the wind, or chasing after wind in other translations. Now, after we are done with our study of this phrase, we are going to examine briefly verses 1 to 11 of chapter 1. So what is grasping after wind, or grasping for the wind? This expression is unique to Ecclesiastes, by the way. It is mentioned... It is mentioned nine times in the book. And out of these nine occurrences, the phrase is mentioned along with Hebel, which is translated in English as vanity, seven times. And as you can see, the first time the expression appears is in chapter 1, verse 14. And this verse teaches us that all things are futile, grasping for the wind. Chapter 1, verse 17, knowing wisdom, knowledge, madness, and folly is grasping for the wind. Chapter 2, verse 11, Solomon teaches that all accomplishments and labors to achieve are empty grasping for the wind. Nothing to be gained under the sun. Chapter 2, verse 17, Solomon hated life because everything that is done under the sun is distressing. Everything is frustratingly profitless and grasping for the wind. Okay, chapter 4, verse 4, doing things out of envy is empty and grasping for the wind. And chapter 4, verse 6, slavery to work in order to have many things is grasping for the wind. Verse 16 of chapter 4, Solomon teaches this, kings come and go. Their presence and rulership is fleeting or frustratingly unsatisfying and grasping for the wind. In chapter 6, verse 9, this verse teaches us that desiring what you don't have is empty, like grasping for the wind. 
I have a question. Have you tried grasping for the wind? Okay. I haven't tried doing it, and I will not try uh, to do it. But even if you do not try chasing after a wind, you know what's going to happen. Okay. You know that all your chasing effort will be useless because you could not grasp the wind. Or maybe you feel like you have grasped it, but the feeling of having held a wind will be gone quickly. Grasping for the wind or chasing after a wind is a very fitting metaphor pointing to the emptiness, worthlessness, the futility of all things in life and labors of life, especially when this labor is done without Christ in life or when you do things not for the glory of God. Now, it's noteworthy that in chapter 1, verse 14, After this verse, uh, in this verse where Solomon mentions for the first time that all is grasping for the wind. After this this verse, the following verses after chapter 1 verse 14, Solomon gives some examples of these all things. So what are included in these all things that Solomon describes as grasping for the wind? In chapter 1, verse 17, if you notice, he talks there about his intellectual quests. So that that means it's grasping for the wind. Chapter 2, verse 11, all accomplishments and labors. If you work out of envy, according to chapter 4, verse 4, that's grasping for the wind. Being workaholic in order to have many material possessions, chapter 4, verse 6, and also power and position. Chapter 4, verse 16. All of these are empty and worthless like striving for wind, according to Solomon. In 1848, a group of men in England was caught in an empire-wide search for exotic plants. So these men left England to the Amazon in South America in search for these plants in order to satisfy the desires of the wealthy British class. And one of the men who joined in this quest is Alfred Wallace. When this group of men arrived in the Amazon, the men decided to split up from each other because they thought they could make more money if they worked independently. But that decision did not turn out to be the best. Early on in their journey, they encountered a lot of mosquitoes and other insects that attacked them. At one point in his journey, as Alfred Wallace was driving off a swarm of bees, he broke his glasses that affected his ability to see things in the coming months. Eventually, Wallace also lost one of his boots. And later on, his native guides abandoned him, thinking that he has gone insane. Four years later, Alfred Wallace finally emerged from the jungles. His clothes all ragged, and he was staggering from his latest bout of recurring fever that, that plagued him. You can just imagine his appearance and his smell during this time. But in his possession was a large collection of specimens that nobody 
back in Europe had ever seen before. With this collection of exotic plants, Wallace believed that he will become rich. So he carefully packed everything for shipping and boarded the ship for England. But a short time after departure, though, the ship caught fire. So the passengers, including Wallace, had to be on a lifeboat. And from there, Wallace saw all his treasures burnt and sank in the bottom of the ocean. Alfred Wallace is only one of the countless people who thought that by their efforts and their accomplishments, they could attain fulfillment or satisfaction in life. However, Wallace learned the opposite of what he thought would happen, and he learned it so painfully. Long before Alfred Wallace was born, a man by the name of Solomon also thought that doing or acquiring something would give him satisfaction or would make his life meaningful. By the way, the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon's testimony that life on earth if not lived with eternity in mind or for the glory of God, is nothing and worthless. Now let us examine chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Verse 1 says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. By the way, Ecclesiastes is... Uh, generally regarded as written by Solomon, but we could not read the name Solomon in this book. Verse 1 doesn't mention explicitly the name of Solomon, but internal evidences strongly suggest that this book is written by a direct descendant of David, who is named Solomon. David has other direct biological sons, who are also called son of David, like Absalom and Amnon, but only Solomon can be called the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And if you also notice in chapter 1, verse 12, the writer describes himself as having been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Now, we know that there were only two kings who, who became king over the United Kingdom of Israel, and that's David and Solomon. And the writer could not be David because he already described himself as the son of David. So we are left with only one choice, and that is Solomon. And of course, Solomon is known for his accomplishments and wisdom, which this book alludes to many times. Another thing that we notice in verse 1 is the identity of Solomon as the preacher. You notice that? The words of the preacher or teacher. And that actually is a translation of the word koheleth. And Kohelet means the one who gathers an assembly. One commentator says that this book contains advice and reflection rather than decrees. In other words, Solomon speaks in the capacity of a teacher or preacher, not as a king. One Old Testament scholar also relates this identity of Solomon as one who gathers an assembly at the dedication of the temple, which is perhaps the most glorious day of Solomon's life. And according to 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 1, it was during this occasion when Solomon assembled, and by, the, 
And by the way, that word assembled is related to the word preacher or teacher. Assembled all the elders of Israel during the, the dedication of the temple and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel. Then in verse 2, Solomon states that the main theme of this book is vanity of vanities. All is vanities. And there are two truths that I would like to share with you this morning. And the first one is this. This world does not give true and lasting gain or profit. This world does not give true and lasting gain or profit. In verse 3, Solomon says, What profit? Hath a man of all his labor in which he toils under the sun. And this is the first time that the phrase under the sun is mentioned in Ecclesiastes. Solomon uses this phrase 29 times to indicate his view of life in this world based on empirical evidence, based on what he observed around him. In other words, when he mentions all is vanity, He is not referring to life in relation to God. But everything that is related to the human realm or to what man observes or experiences in this sin-cursed world. Notice that in this statement of Solomon in verse 3, you can sense and feel the frustration, dissatisfaction, and disappointment in life. When I was one of our teachers, uh, she was my PE teacher, required us to do a project. Uh, she required us to, to compile photos of various sports disciplines. And in our house, we have this beautiful book, uh, a hardbound book, glossy pages. And there are, uh, some of these pages, there are some sport, uh, people doing some sports. So I cut, cut some of these pages, uh, this beautiful book. And this, this book is something that you would like to keep and place on a shelf. But I cut out some of the pages of this book just to, to make this project and get a good grade. And so I turned in this, this project, and I was expecting to have a good grade. And so my teacher returned back, returned the the project to us, and when I saw the grade, I was disappointed. I spent a lot of time in this project and in the process destroyed this beautiful book. And he gave me a very unsatisfying grade. And at the time, I remember I was disappointed and frustrated. And maybe you experienced something similar. You, for example, uh, studied hard for an exam only to find out what you studied did not come out in the exam. That's very frustrating, isn't it? Or maybe you worked hard for a project, but then the project did not materialize or it failed. We know of someone who worked for a multi-million project. Uh, I don't know if it was pesos or dollars. He worked hard on working on the documents for six months only to be scrapped because he wrote down some few words in the document that should not be mentioned. So that's quite disappointing after working hard for six months. Now notice in verse 3 that Solomon labored. And this is not just a one-time event. 
like laboring for one hour or one day. It was years of labor. And Solomon was expecting something that would satisfy him or give meaning to his life or something that would give him the greatest advantage or lasting gratification. But he did not get it. It escapes him. It's like trying to grasp a vapor. No matter how, you, how hard you try, it eludes you. And that's very frustrating. In verses 3 to 7, Solomon illustrates the futility or profitlessness of the things of this world with this, with this illustrations. In verse 4, he talks about the transitory nature of human generations. He says in verse 4, One generation passes away, and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. In contrast to the seeming permanence and immutability of the physical world, human generation comes and goes. This reminds us of the impermanence of man's existence. We are like an army of ants on a rock, leaving no trace of having been here. Or walking on a sand, you left a trace of footprints, but soon it will be washed out by the waves of the sea. All people have an appointment with death, and with death comes the end of one's labor, and all your gains from your hard labor are gone. One time I went to a barber shop and started having a conversation with this barber, and I asked him what province he's from and talked about the storms that, that hit his province, which led an opportunity for me to share the gospel with him. And in the course of our conversation, he mentioned that his cousin just passed away recently. Now, this cousin of him, who was just 50 years old, had a heart attack that took his life away, leaving many properties. He owned a lot of properties in his province, and he had other several properties in another province that he rents out, and he owned several barber shops. And the problem is he did not have any physical children, natural children. But he has one adopted son. Okay. And it seems that this adopted son will inherit all the fruits of this man's labor. And who knows whether this adopted son will be a good man- manager or not of all the properties that this man has poured his time, money, and energy over the years. Another illustration that Solomon uses to illustrate the futility of the things of this world is sunset, sunrise, and sunset, according to verse 5. This verse describes the endless cycle of the sun rising in the east and setting in the west. Another illustration that Solomon uses is wind cycle in verse 6. If the sun moves from east to west the wind seems to move from north to south. It's very interesting. And the last illustration he uses is the flow of river in verse 7. If you notice in verse 7, according to Solomon, rivers empty into the sea, yet the river could not fill the sea. These four illustrations remind us that in spite of the constant motion of nature, 
this cycle of going round and round just shows that life on earth is characterized by monotony, aimlessness, and that nothing is really accomplished of eternal value with this endless cycle. Now Solomon then concludes in verses 3 to 7, uh, concludes these verses, verses 3 to 7, with a brief statement in the first part of verse 8. Solomon says, All things are full of labor. Okay, labor can be translated also as weariness. The monotony in the world is wearisome or tiresome, and this description, wearisome, goes back to the aimless cycles of nature. It is also wearisome because nothing in this world gives lasting gain. Okay, nothing in this world gives lasting gain. Back in 2019, two of the Philippines' richest men have passed away. One owned the largest shopping malls in the Philippines, and the other one owned the biggest airline company in the Philippines. Now, we appreciate the hard work of these men. But after all is said and done by these men, all their possessions amount to nothing in the grave where their dead bodies lay. So the first truth this world does not give true and lasting gain or profit. Second and final truth this morning, closely related to the first truth, is this. This world does not give true satisfaction. Starting verse, third part of verse, verse 8 until verse 11. The second part of verse 8 says, Man cannot utter it. In other words, the monotony and aimlessness you observe in life and nature makes you speechless. The third part of verse 8 says, The eye is not satisfied satisfied with seeing. In other words, the things you see do not fully satisfy. And the last part of verse 8 says, The ear filled with hearing. Likewise, the things you hear do not give complete satisfaction either. Verses 9 to 10 says, That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. Now, these verses, verses 9 to 10, do not deny technological advances or modern innovation. All of these new things we observe are just variations of what had already existed. Now, what these verses point out is that there is nothing that changes the fundamental facts of the condition of humanity. The earth is still cursed. The whole creation is still under bondage to corruption, according to Romans chapter 8. Now, verse 11 says, There is no remembrance of former things. Nor will, there, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. Now, this verse does not deny the memory or recollection of significant historical events and notable people in the past. Now, Solomon's point of verse 11 is that nothing and no one, including fame and glory of men and women, have any lasting significance.
Now let's conclude this. Number one, we should not set our hope in our achievements or accomplishments in life. These are fleeting. They don't give lasting gain. And also, we should not set our affection on the things of this world because nothing in this world gives true satisfaction. However, the Apostle Paul exhorts us that if ye then be risen with Christ, in other words, if you are saved, if you are a child of God, then seek those things which are above, where Christ seated on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. In other words, only Jesus can give true meaning and satisfaction in life. Because when we labor, we labor not for ourselves, but for him, for Christ. And when we do that, our labor has eternal value or significance. And why, why do I say that? Because of the nature of who God is. God is eternal, and inextricably linked with God is His Word. His Word is eternal. Okay? And all the, the, the promises that God has made in this world will come to pass. When He says that He will come for the second time, He will do that. When He says that He will bring with Him his rewards for us. He will do that. Okay. Everything that we do for Christ has eternal value or significance. Maybe some of you here are tired of life. You don't sense any meaning or significance in all the things that you do. If that is your case, maybe you are not sure yet whether you are going to heaven or not. And if that is your your situation in life, I invite you to, to come to Jesus and put your faith in Him alone who died on the cross to save you from your sins. The Bible promises that whosoever believes in Him, in Jesus Christ, will not perish but have everlasting life. If you are a believer and maybe you, you sense that your love for Christ is waning it's not too late to rededicate your life for Christ and to serve Him with all of your hearts and to focus on what is most important and of eternal value. So by His grace, let's continue to be faithful to Christ, to do what pleases Him, and to invest on things of eternal significance. With Christ, life Although we are, we are in the state of vanity, but life can be meaningful. And life can be satisfying with Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Yes, we are in the state of vanity because of sin. But we thank you that we have Christ. And in Christ, all of our labors that are done for you will have eternal value. And Lord, maybe some of us here are not yet sure if they are going to heaven or not. I pray that they will make the decision to put their faith in Christ as their Savior. And as believers, help us to focus on the things above 
not on the things on this earth. Again, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.